0: Hands. I'm not giving up, no, I'll keep going on Now listen. would you mind to tell me There's been something bothering me Why is it that old devil just won't let God's children be has purposed and determined to get right in the way and turn us from the way of life and lead our souls astray. But you know, son, I'm not giving up, no, I'm
1: has said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. This is Matthew, the 16th chapter. We have not taken this message sufficiently serious in America as Christians if if we begin to understand this passage of scripture and the others that I'm going to share with you today you will be terrified in your heart you will not be comfortable because you will see that there are two very real realities there is this world that we dwell in, and then there is a heavenly realm. As I read and reread the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it is absolutely clear that Jesus did not view reality as we view reality. He had a different world view. His worldview was very much centered in heaven. Now, people have said to me, Pastor, you're so heavenly-minded, you're of no earthly use. They meant it as as a slam, as an insult. I took it as a great compliment. You see, Jesus' viewpoint was that reality
2: rested with his Father in heaven. On the other hand, most
1: of us as Americans think that reality rests here on this earth. And so we spend a great deal more time and energy concerned with this earth than with what God thinks. There must be a total change in that for a Christian He says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What's he mean? He means that you do not prosper in this earth reality if you do
2: not have your heart in the heavenly reality. Now, there's another passage
1: of Scripture I want to share with you quickly. This one was found in Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 24. And then there's another passage in Matthew, again, chapter 21. I'll begin reading with verse 42. Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone? The Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now, let me stop. Let's be clear and review with yesterday. The kingdom of God is not geographic. It's not a location. Rather, it is divine authority. It is the divine rule of God. Therefore, I tell you that the divine rule of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. In other words, if you have become a Christian and you have said, I will follow Jesus Christ, you have come under the divine rule of heaven. You are no longer under the rule of this earth. You are under the divine rule of of God himself and he's saying if you do not produce the fruit and the fruit in scripture is always the fruit of the spirit it is righteousness if you do not produce righteousness in your life it will be taken away from you your right to live under the rulership of Jesus Christ, you will lose that right, and you will go back under the rulership
2: of the devil. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom
1: of God, the divine authority of God, will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit... Remember now, I said to you in way of review that every kingdom has both benefits and judgments. Benefits and judgments. The American government has benefits and judgments. We enjoy the benefit of a free society. We enjoy the benefit of being able to worship, to assemble, we have the rights outlined, divinely given in the Constitution and in the Bill of Rights. This is America. Now, America is rapidly transitioning into a police state, into tyranny, and yet we still have many freedoms and many benefits. But if you go rob a bank, you come under the judgments Of this authority. Likewise, under the kingdom of heaven, you have benefits, peace, love, joy. You have the fruit of the Spirit. You have the gifts of Jesus Christ. You have the blood to cover your sin and to wash it away. You have pardon for sin, and you have to be made righteous. But if you just claim that your sins are forgiven, but you do not produce fruit, the fruit of righteousness, you then begin to fall under the judgments of that kingdom until finally you are expelled from that kingdom. And you go back, even though you're very religious, you go back under the kingdom of darkness He says, Matthew 21, verse 44, He who falls on this stone will be broken
2: to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed.
1: Or literally, according to the King James Version translation, he on whom it falls will be ground To powder and blown away. So you have two options. You can come to Jesus Christ and you can fall on him as falling on a rock and all of the rocks of pride and arrogance will be broken up. The rocks of ambition, of the worship of money, all of these rocks will be utterly broken by falling on Jesus Christ. If you choose not to fall on Jesus Christ and allow these things of bitterness and anger, hatred toward God, and all men naturally hate God. That's the human condition, according to Romans the first and second chapters, and the third chapter. Now, if if you refuse to be broken, he says, then you're going to be ground to a fine powder
2: and you'll be blown away. You will have forfeited your very soul.
1: Now, this morning I received a very disquieting phone call from a young man who has chosen to follow Jesus. And he goes around this mulberry bush time after time. He earnestly desires to follow Jesus. He has left behind the clubs and the drinking. He's left behind the strip clubs and the erotic massages. He's left behind any cheating or lying or stealing. And now he is very eager for God to do in his life what he wants God to do for him. He wants to have a comfortable, happy life. And instead he said to me, Pastor, I am utterly miserable following Jesus. I am putting so much energy into coming to church I'm putting so much energy into serving Jesus. I'm putting so much of myself into not going to these wicked places. And yet God is not allowing me to date young women. He is not bringing to me my wife. I am not making the kind of money I need to make. I don't think I'm going to follow Jesus anymore.
2: And my heart... My heart broke for him. And I said to him, We've been
1: around this many times. I don't have anything more to say to you except that you refuse to fall on Jesus Christ and be
2: broken. So yes, you can go back. You can stop following Jesus.
1: And then the rock will fall on you. In other words, he wants to keep for himself his life.
2: And yet he wants the benefits of the kingdom of heaven. And so the judgments
1: of God fall upon him. The judgments of the kingdom of God fall upon him. And he's utterly miserable. And he can't stand his skin. Because he sees a Muslim friend, as he put it, with a beautiful wife, a brand new car, a beautiful home. He says he has everything his heart desires, but I'm a Christian and I'm not getting everything I desire. What's wrong? And I said, my dear brother, you don't understand yet the gospel of Jesus. It requires that a man give up his life. You want to hold on to your life You want the benefits of the kingdom of heaven, but you don't want to pay the price.
2: Now, what I admire about him is his frank honesty. Now, what becomes very apparent,
1: let me read this for you. In Matthew, the 13th
2: chapter. Now, Let me just say something quickly to you. Most
1: of you have not really faced this issue because you can decide to follow Jesus, but you don't have any expectations of him doing anything really in the physical realm for you. It's more of an emotional comfort to say, I'm a follower of Jesus but you don't really understand the process of moving forward in your heavenly walk, in your heavenly journey that Bunyan so eloquently writes about in Pilgrim's Progress. And by the way, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I meet Christians all the time, who are not on the journey. You said, I'll follow Jesus, and now you go about your life in the world, and you have this false belief that you've been forgiven of your sin, and you're saved, and now you can hang with the world, and then on Sunday you can go and hang, or Saturday you can go and hang with the Christians. But there's really no difference in your life from the pagans. But there is a process. Let me read it for you. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. That is, you need to cut off those things of the world, the lust of your heart, and you need to seek Jesus with all your heart. And you're going to be tested and tried. And you have to finish that testing and trying And out of that will then begin to emerge what he says, I counsel you to buy white clothes to wear so you can cover your nakedness. This man's nakedness is not yet covered. He is still bare naked. Oh, he has a few things he's doing right, but he's doing it from a motive of gaining by serving Jesus. That discounts everything he's doing. We don't serve Jesus to get something. We serve Jesus because he is worthy of all honor, glory, and praise.
2: Now, yesterday we had a caller, Mike. He's a dear brother. I know him well. And I love him. After we spoke on the telephone... And the broadcast was finished. Bill,
1: the engineer from WAVA, came into my studio and he said, you know, the issue that Mike is facing is that he has not completed yet his surrender to Jesus. He's still holding on to the confusion and he's still hoping somehow he can survive in the flesh and still be with Jesus. He has to finish that. There has to be a finishing of his testing and growing in faith until he's finally willing to entrust himself fully and completely to Jesus. Well, he's in the process but he can't expect to have the full clothing to cover his nakedness until he's sold out to Jesus. And then after he is fully in the righteousness, then he has to wait on God as God begins now
2: to bring the Holy Spirit into his life. I said, Bill, I think you're right. I think you're right.
1: There is a process and a journey that we must engage in, and if we don't complete the first part, we can't move on to the second part. Is it any wonder that there's so little righteousness in the world, in the Christian church in America? Is it any wonder there is so little righteousness and so much worldliness when we have no dependence On the God of heaven, we have no faith. In the heavenly realm, we are totally earthly in our approach. Scriptures say, if the Lord does not build the house, the workers work in vain. Oh, I can go and preach on the streets. I can come and preach on the radio. I can do all manner of wonderful Christian things. But if I am not sold out 100% to Jesus, those are empty things. If I am about just building a church as a good businessman, the church will be devoid of
2: the Holy Spirit and it will be devoid of real righteousness. This young man, Who wants
1: all the benefits but does not want to fall on Jesus Christ and be broken will never gain righteousness or the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And many like him at this point pull back and say, Okay, Pastor. And this is what he said He said, I will come on Sundays. I'm not going to come to prayer meetings. I'm just going to show up on Sunday and the rest of the week I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. Well, that's the majority of the Christian church in America. And it's utterly dead end. Then it becomes a religious exercise. There's no power. Prayers are not answered. And so then The church begins to say, well, the gifts of the Spirit ended and we're now in another age. And so, no, you shouldn't speak in tongues and you shouldn't expect miracles to happen and you shouldn't expect for healing to take place. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak to you now. That was just for the age of the Apostles.
2: Well, they've taken that position because they've
1: never been willing to fully sell out to Jesus Christ. And so they have not built righteousness in their lives because they never finished just the faith portion. They've never sold everything they have and followed Jesus. Now, please understand me. There are consequences for every action you take. And the God of heaven wants his authority to rule over you, but it breaks his heart because most of his authority is used for judgment against you. And then you pull back from him and you get your rewards from the, from the world, from the devil, from the flesh. But you call yourself a Christian, and that's why Jesus said in this Revelation passage, You're wretched, that is, you're weighed in the balance and you're found to be a lightweight. You're pierced through with struggles for money and for family and for recognition. You're pitiful. You're broke. Spiritually, you're broke. You're blind, you're naked, you're lukewarm. And he says, you make me sick. The American church makes Jesus so sick, he wants to vomit us out of his mouth. Because we've never been willing to fall on that rock and finish the work of having those hard rocks broken up
2: in our heart. So we're powerless. I've been struggling all of my life against this. I've been
1: struggling to somehow understand the spiritual realm, heaven, and the cause and effect relationship of serving Jesus. Until I finally came to a place many years ago in my life where I said, I have to know if God is even there. And so I set aside an hour a day to pray a specific request to see if God would answer a specific request in the physical realm. I prayed for a year. My prayer time grew from an hour a day into six, seven, and eight hours a day, sometimes more nights of prayer, pleading for God to reveal himself. And in his great mercy, after a year, he finally spoke to me and he answered my prayer. And it revolutionized my life. Because now I knew there was a God who was there. I had experienced the reality of God. I should have been able to experience that by reading the scriptures, but I was too hard-hearted. And then he began to just stretch me out. He began to tear apart everything that I held. He began to strip me out of all of my money, my retirement, my house, my cars, my retirement money, my savings. He stripped everything out because... I had pushed into the spiritual realm, into his presence, without righteousness. And now he had to finish that work of my falling on the rock, and it didn't happen quickly. It took time, and it was painful.
2: It was agonizing. It was crucifixion. And then he began to reveal
1: righteousness to me and he began to reveal to me the lie of the of the calvinistic doctrine of eternal security he began to reveal to me the lie of of justification being only the pardoning of sin and not the removal of sin he began to expose to me the lie of the sinning christian and he said stop sinning and it's been a journey My only regret in this journey is that i had been so slow to learn these lessons. I wish I'd been able to learn these lessons when I was a young man. My life would have been so much different. But I grew up in the lying church, in
2: the church of legalism, in the church of... the church of the sinning Christian. but I rejoice now
1: that he's building that righteousness very firmly into my life where I recognize cause and effect. I recognize things happen in the physical realm for a reason. It's not by chance. My life is entirely swallowed up in Jesus Christ. And now I'm praying for that third part. I'm praying for the fullness of the Holy Spirit for Pentecost, for revival. The modern church wants revival. I don't know why they want it. It'll come and they'll hate it because it will it will strip them out of everything they have. It'll totally disrupt their lives. It'll be a radical time of heartbroken, deep conviction of sin where everything is suddenly exposed all at one time. And men and women will have to grow very rapidly. And many will turn aside and turn away and say, this is too hard. This young man said to me this morning, pastor, it's too hard to follow Jesus. It costs too much. I can't pay this price anymore. I'm going back to my worldly living and thinking. I'll come to church on Sunday. I'll be a Christian but it's too hard to follow Jesus. Well, it's too hard to follow Jesus when you refuse to pay the price to follow Jesus. He's not a hard man. Jesus is not a hard man. He's a kind, wonderful, loving, merciful, grace-filled Savior, but not to the self-righteous, not to the self-consumed not to those who worship themselves, not to the God-haters, not to the angry man and woman who holds a bitter root in their heart. All of that surgically must be removed, and it's painful to have these things removed from our hearts. But if
2: they're not, we can't be saved. Religion will not save you. So there's this passage of Scripture. I weep because of what I see happening.
1: I weep because of the judgments coming upon our nation, the fear and the anger that I see in people's faces and in their hearts,
2: the bitterness between husbands and wives, Let me read this parable for you.
1: This is Matthew, the 13th chapter, verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man. Again, it's the authority of God, the divine rule of God. It's like a man who who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And then he went away, and when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came in and he said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the
2: weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied.
1: The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. See, I'm not sure yet if this young, young man I spoke of, I'm not sure yet if he's a weed or if he's wheat. He's making that decision now. He says, let both grow together until the harvest. I mean, I don't want to pull this young man up out of the church, lest I pull up the wheat, so I'm going to just speak to him kindly and tenderly, but very firmly, and then I'm going to wait and see whether he's a weed or whether he's wheat. I'm doing the same thing with you. Have you seen that? I speak this word to you. I don't try to please you. I try to be loving and kind and merciful, but... My pastor, Pastor David Wilkerson, shook his finger in my face one day at Times Square Church in New York. He said, preach the judgment of God, but preach it with mercy. I'm trying to follow his direction. The scripture says, at that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. And his disciples came to him in verse 36, and he said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. That is, Jesus is the one who sows the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. And now he begins to speak, not in parabolic form, but straight reality. He says, as the weeds are pulled up that is, the sons of the devil, those who are committed just to this earth's reality, who grow impatient with the journey with Jesus, who turn aside and refuse to totally commit. He says they're pulled up and burned in the fire. Verse 41, the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his Kingdom out of his divine authority, they will weed out everything that causes sin and all who do evil. That includes those who believe they have declared righteousness, imputed righteousness, but have continued to walk in evil and have never matured into righteousness. It says, This is the 13th chapter of Matthew, verse 42. The angels, they will throw them into the fiery furnace, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the righteous, you notice it's the righteous, the true righteous, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is Jesus. This is not Reformed theology. This is our Master, our Lord, speaking to us. And then he tells two more following parables. Listen carefully. The kingdom of heaven, or the divine authority of God, ruling over your life, is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his great joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. You notice he's speaking about a great treasure, and that great treasure is Jesus Christ. That great treasure is righteousness.
2: He went and sold all that he had and he bought the field, he bought the treasure. This world has no treasure I desire.
1: I desire only the treasure of Jesus Christ and the treasure Jesus Christ means that I must fall upon him It will cost me everything I have. The worldly gospel of the evangelical church is of absolutely no value if it believes in the sinning Christian. It has no value because it means you have not fallen on the rock. Again, He says, the kingdom of heaven, the divine authority of God is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Have you sold everything you have for the kingdom of Jesus Christ?
2: If you still have bitterness in your heart, you have not sold everything for the kingdom of God.
1: If you still have hatred toward God, if you have indifference toward Jesus, you can take him or leave him. If you love the things of darkness, the entertainment of this
2: world, the lust, if you still love the pursuit of money,
1: not as a tool to use for building the kingdom of God, but for your own self-glory, your own pride, your own arrogance,
2: then you have not bought the pearl of great price, Jesus Christ.
1: If you're a lukewarm Christian, it has yet to be decided whether you're wheat or a weed. I pray You are the wheat of God. He specializes in transforming a person from a servant of the devil into a servant of Jesus Christ. And we have all of this garbage that we've believed in America about this sentimental religion that leaves us untouched and unchanged, except now we've added to our wicked worldly life the belief that we're saved.
2: And there has been no death, there's been no falling on the rock, and we've been lied to. Now there's a, a third parable that I've been praying about whether I share with
1: you or not. It's in verse 47. This is Matthew 13, verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven, that is the divine authority of God, the right of God to rule over your life, is like a net is let down into the lake and it caught all kinds of fish. In other words, people came with all kinds of motives. One man comes with a motive If I follow Jesus, I'll have the desires of my heart met. If I follow Jesus, I'll escape hell. If I follow Jesus, I have these social connections that will be improved. If I follow Jesus, I might be able to improve myself a little bit. All kinds of fish have been caught. Other fish utterly want to be sold out to Jesus. They've given up pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency. They've given up
2: arrogance. Their own agenda. All kinds of fish have been caught. When the net was full,
1: verse 48, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. And then they sat down and they Collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad fish away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. Now he's not speaking in parables anymore. He's saying at the end of the age, there is going to be a separating in the body of Christ. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. Are you the wicked today, or are you the righteous? Are you the wheat, or are you the weed? You know already. Have you fallen on Jesus Christ and utterly and totally surrendered your life?
2: But please understand, there are a number of things that I need in my life. But my relationship to Jesus Christ is not
1: based on whether he answers my prayer for those things in my life. Right now I'm praying for a partner to walk with me in this journey toward heaven. The Lord has promised me that he will send me the one he's chosen. And so I'm waiting on him. Well, what if a year from today, I still have not seen her? Does that mean that I'm going to accuse God? No. I'm not serving God to have a wife. I'm not serving God to have physical strength. I'm not serving God to have financial abilities. I'm serving Jesus because He's worthy. He died on Calvary. He paid the price for my sin. He loves me. I can't resist the love of Jesus. His kindness and his mercy and his grace have won my heart. I've fallen on the rock. I've been broken. And the anger has been broken out of my heart the bitterness
2: has disappeared. He's crushed my pride. He's crushed my ambition. There was a time in my life when all I wanted to be was successful. Now
1: I don't see success as something to be sought after. I see self-emptying, To be sought after. I see being filled with the Holy Spirit to be sought after. So I have no accusations in my heart against Jesus. I have no judgments against him. He is wonderful, He is a counselor, He is mighty, He is the
2: ruler of heaven and earth. I give myself to Him entirely, completely. It says the angels will come and
1: separate the wicked from the righteous. And the wicked, it says, he will throw them into the fiery furnace and there will be weeping and gnashing of
2: teeth. In other words, if you're thrown into the
1: fire of hell, it will be because The authority of God has come over the earth, and you have been wicked and are wicked.
2: And you will be conscious as you are judged, and you will be conscious as you are picked up